Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world with the good news. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from yesterday's message and our current In the Word series as we journey through the book of Colossians. Let's take a listen. Today is kind of one of those bittersweet moments. It's kind of the closing of the book of Colossians. And I think I can speak for a lot of us in this room that what what we've experienced, what we've seen as studying the book of Colossians, I don't know that I've ever seen or been a part of anything like what we've seen. And the one word to describe that's revival. We've seen people come to know Christ and and I prayed and I was like, God, why why did you pick, why, what was about the book of Colossians that that disclosed so much? How did you use this book to draw people to yourself just so, just drastically, just all of a sudden, God, And he very clearly showed me that what he did was opened a lot of eyes to the difference in religion and relationship. Because a lot of us in this room, we're guilty of religion. We come to church to check the boxes. We we jump through the hoops of church to do church. When the reality is, is the gospel is about a relationship with a personal savior. And that's what God has done through this series. So it's kind of bittersweet to come to the close of the book of Colossians but I'm also excited about where we're headed. Now we're all gonna step out of something that we normally do, because if you've been here for any amount of time, we usually pick a book of the Bible and we walk through it. Um, but but with, with the influx of so many new families, some people are still trying to figure out what is Chestnut Mountain Church about? Who are you? Who is this church? What's God doing here? So we're gonna take five weeks and we're gonna start a series called We Are. And what this series is gonna be about is we're gonna kind of, reveal and show to you what a lot of you already know, but it's five weeks of what our values are, of what we value as a church family. Everything that we do hinges off of these five values that we're gonna jump into over the next five weeks. So maybe you're visiting, maybe you're new here. I pray that at the end of this five weeks, month and a half time period, you're gonna know exactly what God has called us to do here at Chestnut Mountain Church. And so I'm excited about that. We're gonna kind of end it with a vision day, sort of what God has laid on my heart of the direction where we're headed and the targets that we're gonna be aiming for. Because we all know if we don't have a target we're aiming for, we're gonna hit it every time, right? If we're aiming for nothing, we're gonna hit nothing. So God has specifically shown us where we're headed and what we're gonna be aiming towards. So I'm excited about where we're going. Um, But today we're gonna close out, like we said, Colossians chapter four. And my prayer is, is that God would reveal to you what your role is in your calling. You know, we've said it so many times. Again, if you're new here, you may hear some of this stuff for the first time, but I believe with everything in me that if God has called you to be a part of Chestnut Mountain Church, he's called you to be a part of the mission that God has given us. He's not called you to sit here. He's called you to put your hands to the plow and do what God has called you to do. And my prayer is, is that by the end of today, that God may begin revealing and prodding your heart as to what he has for you. Now look, we're gonna throw the term out today, ministry, a lot. And if we're not careful where we have to 
put on the brakes or kind of pump the brakes when we use that word ministry because when we hear the word ministry, a lot of people believe that it's occupational ministry, meaning that I'm not in ministry if I don't work for the church. But can I tell you right now that when we say the word ministry, that is to every believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are saved by the grace of God, you are in ministry. No matter where it's at, if it's in occupational ministry at the church or if it's at your school or if it's at your workplace. So every one of us called by God, saved by God's grace, we're all in ministry. So when we say the word ministry today, understand that that's to all of us as believers. So I wanna just go ahead and clear that up. But today when we look at verses seven through 18, if I'm just real transparent, this is one of those passages that I read when I saw where Jared was kind of landing last week and I saw where I was gonna be going this week, I was just like, oh gosh. This is just one of those sections that you honestly wanna skim right over because there's a lot of names that you can't pronounce. And you're just like, if I can't pronounce them, they're probably not worth talking about. And so truthfully, when we look at it, I'm like, oh good gosh, this is gonna be a struggle. I even looked at my wife last week as Jared's preaching and I underlined one verse and I said, you know what? I really feel like God just laying in one verse on my heart. No, I didn't. That was just the easy way out. So I got along with the Lord this week and I began to pray and I began to seek him. And, and it's absolutely amazing what God revealed in these just few last verses. And before we start that, I wanna kind of share a story that'll kind of tee it up. Some of us have probably, I'd never heard of this guy You'll probably still realize how much I don't know about sports, like I do, but I don't. But there was a coach for the Oklahoma Sooners by the name of Bud Wilkinson. Does anybody know him? One. (laughs) Of course, Richard. Yep, you would. This dude coached from 1947 to 1963. He was asked the question by a news reporter. He said, how has football contributed to the health and the fitness in America? Now, remember, this is a football coach, right? And so you're expecting some miraculous man. Football is such a, an asset to America. It really helps with the health of our, of our people. But he, he responded by saying, not at all. It doesn't help America at all. And so this reporter with this perplexed look kind of said, well, what do you mean? And I want you to listen how he defines football. He said, I define football as 22 men on a field desperately needing a rest and 22,000 fans in the stadium needing exercise. (laughs) And I thought in that moment, I went, man, that is spot on. That is football. But what's interesting is I went on to read the article that I was reading and the eye-opening part I wanna ask a question, does this explain the church? Does this explain the church? Does this define the church? Because many of you have heard the statistics that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work. And now look, I'm not picking on Chestnut Mountain Church. That's not what we're, I'm talking about the global church, the big C church. But the ongoing statistics that we always hear is that 20% of the church does 80% of the work that needs to be done. And so I even read another commentator. He wrote, he was writing 
talking about this same thing. And he was talking about the life of a paraplegic. Somebody that has been paralyzed and they've lost 80% usage of their body. They're very limited on what they can accomplish. They're very limited physically on what they can do. 80% of their body doesn't work, 20% of it does work. What would it look like if that individual, if just those statistics were reversed and they had 80% usage of their body and only 20% of it didn't work? Church, what would the church look like if just 80% of the church did the work? How much more successful, how much more on fire would the church be? Not to mention if 100% of the church did what God had called them to do. I think it changes everything. It changes the face of a, of a Sunday morning. It changes the face of your workplace. It changes the face of the mission field. And no, I'm not talking about just getting on an airplane and going to the other side of the world. I'm talking about the daily mission field that you are all placed in. If the church will grab hold of what God has called every one of us to do as believers, it's a game changer. Everything changes. Because the reality is, is we all have a role. Every one of us who have been saved by the grace of God, we all have an assignment. Every one of us have an assignment. And today we're gonna unpack this, this, these last nine, 10 verses. And I want you to see what all these assignments that these believers had. And I want you to see how they responded. And so we're gonna read a lot. We're gonna read a lot of names that I'm probably gonna butcher, but I'm gonna say them like I know exactly how they're pronounced. So y'all just think I'm very, very smart, okay? So I want us to start reading in verse seven, and we're gonna go all the way through verse 18 to close this out. Paul writes this in his farewell address to the church at Colossae. He says, as to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord bring, will bring your, you information. For I have sent him to you for this purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. We'll talk about that in a little while. Verse 11, and also Jesus who is called justice. Understand that's not Jesus the Lord. That's the reason it says that he's called justice. These are the they are only few workers for the kingdom of God who are from circumcision. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all of the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Aeropolis. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Did y'all catch that? Verse 15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. 
When this letter is read among you, have it also read to the church at the Laodiceans and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, remembering my imprisonment, grace be with you. So are you ready? We're gonna unpack all 10 of these individuals. There's 10 of them. Now there are a few that we're gonna kind of lump together that kind of had, have been dealt the sort of the same cards. They've been kind of placed in the same situations, but we wanna look at what they were given and how they responded. But the first three that we wanna mention are kind of the ones that I would call the golden boys of ministry. The very first three that he mentions here were Tychicus, Onesimus, and Aristarchus. Now, these are those three guys that kind of get all the credit for everything. They get bragged on, they get all the glory, they get all the pats on the back because look at just some of the adjectives that he uses to explain to them. And now keep in mind that these three guys, they've all traveled with Paul. They've all had a front row seat to Paul's ministry. And so what we hear is that he begins to brag on their faithfulness. He calls them, some of them, the beloved brothers. He calls them faithful. He even mentioned that they were his fellow bond servants, meaning that they were his partners in ministry. He even says that they were his fellow prisoners, meaning that they were locked up in prison together. And so he spends all of this, this first three or four verses just bragging on these three guys. Now, Keep in mind, here's the one thing that I want us all to hear today. When we read that, we would think that Paul's bragging on them because they were faithful to Paul. But here's what I want you to understand and here's what I want you to keep in mind. While yes, they were hand in hand with Paul, they locked arms with ministry in Paul, understand that their loyalty was not to Paul. Their loyalty was to their savior. And because they were obedient to their savior, then they stuck by the side of Paul, even through the difficult seasons. And so know that first and foremost, that any of us in this room, you're not faithful to any one man. You're not faithful to any one woman when it comes to ministry. You are ultimately called to be faithful to an almighty God who has called you. That's who you're faithful to. So understand that these three men aren't faithful to Paul, they're faithful to God who has placed them with Paul. So understand that, where their loyalty is. But you know, you have to wonder, look, you gotta understand these people in scripture, they were just like us. They dealt with pride, they dealt with discouragement, they dealt with frustrations, they dealt with all of the same stuff that you and I deal with. So I wonder, Here's three guys mentioned. There's seven more that are gonna be talked about. Was there a part of the rest of the seven that kind of were disgusted at these other three? Man, they get all the credit for everything. They get all the pats on the back. They get all the attaboys. They're the ones getting their name in the paper. They're getting all the glory for everything that goes on and I'm getting nothing. You wonder if there was the friction of pride. You wonder if there was the friction of that they just wanted credit for something. 
Because you gotta understand the rest of these people, they deal with the same stuff that we deal with. But here's the problem. Can I go ahead and tell you right now, if you serve the Lord long enough, that is gonna happen to you. If you serve the Lord long enough, there's gonna be people who get credit for stuff and then there's gonna be you who get credit for nothing. So we just need to go ahead and acknowledge that, that in ministry, that as you're following Christ, it's not gonna be filled with every single day of you being patted on the back and told how grateful of a servant of God you are. But remember, who's your loyalty to? It's to the Father. It's not to the applause of man. This is what calls us to be faithful is understanding who we're called by and who we're empowered by. So we wonder, were they frustrated? Were they discouraged? Were they aggravated because they weren't being honored? We see one more character, the next one we call Jesus, who is called Justice. He was recognized, but he wasn't really praised. He wasn't, didn't have this big old resume that just made him sound like the saint of God. Because if you look at what happened to him or what he was known for in verse 11, it says, there he is. These are the only few fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from circumcision. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. The only thing we know about him according to this text is that he encouraged Paul. We don't really know how he encouraged Paul. Was it by word? Was it by deed? Was it just Paul watching how faithful this individual was? We don't really know. But what we know is that Paul was encouraged by justice. Now, think about that. What if God has called you to simply be an encourager? Because I can tell you right now, I could point out and call people's names out that you're an encouragement to me. You're the ones that send the text messages that encourage. You're the ones that say, hey, I'm praying for you. You're the ones that, that keep the wind in the sail when there's days that we feel like throwing in the towel. But can I tell you, if God has called you to be an encourager, go ahead and be ready. There's not gonna be a lot of praise. There's not gonna be a lot of glory. There's not gonna be a lot of pat on the backs. But here's what you have to understand. If God has called you to be an encourager, you do it with all you have. You do it with everything that is in you. And we see what I love about that text. If you miss it, it says that he proved himself to be an encouragement. So meaning that this was not something that was just a one-time event. He proved himself. He was faithful to the duration of Paul's ministry. And so we see that he continued to prove it. There's probably days that he didn't want to encourage. There's probably days he didn't want to send the Paul a text message and say, hey, great job, Paul. There's probably those days that he didn't feel like it, but because he remained faithful to his calling that God had given him, he proved himself to be an encouragement. So what if, it is, what if the only thing that God calls you to do is to be an encourager? What if you're here this morning and that's your ministry? Now look, don't take the easy way out. You know what, Brian? I really feel like God's calling me just to send out encouraging text messages. I would challenge that and ask you if you prayed about it. 
Don't let that be the easy way out. I know they need volunteers and kids. I know they need them in the youth. I know there's that guy at work that needs the gospel, but I'm just gonna be an encourager. You just deal with the Lord on that one. You ask God what your direction is. But if God calls you to encourage, you do it with everything you have. If God calls you to be an encouragement, you do it with everything you have. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, your reward is probably not gonna be here. Your reward is probably not gonna be here, but oh, guess what? It's coming. He's gonna say, well done, my good and faithful encourager. My good and faithful servant. But you know, if we're not careful in our flesh, when we don't receive the rewards here, when we don't receive the attaboys, it's so easy to get frustrated and so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to walk around and to say, does anybody notice what I'm doing? Does anybody know what I'm pouring out? And what we read about here is two individuals who we know got discouraged. We know they got frustrated. We don't really know why, but we know that they did. Look in verse 10. We see Mark. At the very end of that, or about halfway down in verse 10, it says, and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, you welcome him. You see, you'll understand what that means in just a moment, but the thing about Mark is Mark began his ministry strong. Mark was, was partners with Paul and Barabbas, or Barnabas, Barabbas. Oh, that would have been bad. He was partners with Paul and Barnabas. He was doing ministry with them. And some scholars believe that, you know what his role was? He handled all of the travel and made sure that all their supplies were taken care of. And so a lot of scholars believe that that was his beginning role. But you know what? As a new believer, think about it. Man, we all jump in, we're ready to go. I'll scrub the toilets if it's what God wants me to do. How many want to do it? Exactly, nobody. But you gotta think about it. Was that what, Paul, what, what, what Mark was thinking about right now? Okay, this is all God's called me to do. He's called me to go with them, called me to make sure that their travel is taken care of from this town to that town, to make sure that all the supplies are taken. So his ministry started out strong. But what we find out in the study of Mark is that somewhere along the way, he got discouraged. Somewhere along the way, he left the ministry. In Acts chapter 13, we basically read that, that he just walked out. He just got discouraged and frustrated with the ministry and he said, I'm out, I'm done. We don't really know why there's a lot of the scholars, they believe a lot of different things as to what may have led to him dismissing himself. Some believe that ministry just got tough and he got home and he decided to go home. You know what, this is just too hard. I'm just going home. Some scholars believe that he wasn't very flexible, that he got frustrated with all the plans always changing. So some believe like he was this type A person, because if you've ever been in ministry long enough, we all know that plans constantly change. Dwight Joy always said it, we better be flexible or we're gonna get bent out of shape. Things are always changing. Things are always changing. It never goes to the way we put it on paper. Ever. And so some believe that Mark was frustrated with that. And he said, you know what? I'm a type A person and I can't handle, this is so unorganized. I'm out. 
But in my flesh, I'm wondering, did Mark get discouraged? Because if he was just handling the travel, if he was just handling the supplies, was he getting a lot of credit for it? Probably not. Probably not. So did Mark get discouraged because he wasn't getting patted on the back? And he said, you know what? I need more credit. I'm out. I'm done. But you know, we, we keep reading and we keep studying about Mark and we find out later, somewhere along the lines, he came to his senses and he returned to ministry. He repented of his negligence and he came back and he wanted to work. He came back and he said, I'm sorry, I'm ready to go back to work. And then we see the flesh side of Paul. Paul says, no, I don't want you. You've already walked out one time. This is not exactly what he said. This is in my mind what he's saying. Dude, I know your faithfulness, you're out. So if things get tough again, Mark, you're just gonna bail on us again. And so because of Paul's unforgiving heart, we know that this is what led to the split of Paul and Barnabas. We know that this is what led to their split. So always keep this in mind, church. Unforgiveness always leads to division. If we as the church can't learn to forgive each other, we're always gonna be divided. And so there's gonna come a day that where we're gonna have to humble ourselves and forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what they've done. But we see here that this unforgiveness has led to division and Paul and Barnabas split. Paul and Barnabas split for whatever reasons. So I'd ask the question, who do you need to forgive? Because again, if we're in church long enough, go ahead and hear this. You always hear it, church hurts the worst hurt. It is. It is, and every single person in this room has been hurt by another believer. Every person, I have, you all have. But you gotta understand, we've gotta forgive the same way Christ forgave us. And when we forgive, guess what happens? The ministry keeps moving. The ministry keeps moving, and that's exactly what happens. Somewhere along the lines, Paul and Mark kind of mended because you read there in verse 10, he basically, when he calls them out and he says, hey, if he comes to you, welcome him. He's saying basically, don't do what I did. Don't turn him away. If he comes to you to help, you lock arms with him and you let him help. And we know how well that relationship was mended because according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, look what happens. Paul says this, and only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark, bring him with you for he is useful for me in service. So you see the relationship was mended. They were put back together and the ministry continued because of forgiveness. And so while we wish the, all the stories ended like that one, they don't. All these discouraging stories that we're a part of, that we've heard about, they don't all end like this one. Because then there's this guy named Damas. And literally that's all it says. Did you see that, what it said a minute ago? Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Damas. How would you like to be that guy? 
That dude ain't getting credit for nothing. You better believe he's that one that's sitting over there in the corner sucking his thumb going, when am I get my pat on the back? I got also. That's it. That's all they know about me is that I was a tag along. But you see what's interesting about Damas is he started the ministry out the same way Mark did. He started out and Paul even called him a fellow worker. In the book of Philemon, verse 24, we read that Paul called him a fellow worker of the ministry. So he started out on fire, but somewhere along the lines, discouragement showed up. Somewhere along the lines, he got frustrated to the point where all that is said here is also Damas. But then we read again in 2 Timothy chapter four, verse 10, we read it again for Damas, having loved the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So what we know is that he got frustrated and he didn't come back. He got discouraged and he threw in the towel. He got so frustrated with whatever was going on in ministry that he says, you know what? Life in the world is gonna be much easier. And if you notice, he said that he returned to the world. Do you know what the literal word world means there? Society without God. It means that he neglected his calling and said, you know what? I'm going back just living for the world. I would ask the question this morning in this room, how many of us are like Damas? We've gotten discouraged, we've gotten frustrated in ministry, we've gotten our feelings hurt, we've not been patted on the back and we said, you know what, I'm out and you ran right back to the very things that God saved you from. Because church, here's the reality. If you haven't experienced frustration and discouragement in ministry, just give it time. Is coming. But which one are you going to respond like? Are you gonna return? Or are you gonna be like Damas and just say, you know what, I'm out? To never return. And maybe that's what today's about. Maybe you're Damas right now and you're living in the world and you know that you've been saved by God's grace. You know you've been called by God. You know God has skilled you. God has gifted you. God has the Holy Spirit living in you to do his work. And maybe today's just simply the day you come back. And when I say come back, I'm not saying that you get saved again. That's not what we're talking about. But that you come back and you make yourself available. Mark came back to make himself available. He says, look, I'm back. And then Paul said, no, you're not. So look, you may come back today and somebody may say, no, you're not. You keep coming back. Remember your faithfulness is not to man. Your faithfulness is to the God who's called you. So you keep coming back. And I really struggled today. I was like, okay, do we just end right there? Do we just end right there and just say, hey, you know what? Let's invite him to come back. Let's invite him to come back. But we're not going to. Sounded good though. Y'all are getting excited. Just like, he's about to close us out. Nope, not yet. Not yet. But that was Mark and Damas. The difference is, is one made himself available and one didn't. And what we're gonna look at the next two individuals or two individuals 
who simply made themselves available. Look at Luke, Luke in verse 14. What did Luke do? Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. I love this because what we know about Luke is that yes, he penned the gospel of Luke, but he also penned the book of Acts. But we see what he was skilled to do. He was a physician. He was a doctor. Now you talk about making yourself available. You realize he took every bit of skill and ability that God gave him and said, look, I know this is not necessarily in the church world, but God, you've called me to be a physician. You've given me the brains to do it. So God, here I'm available. You use my profession to change the world. You use my workplace to change the world. How many of you need to realize that wherever God has placed you in your career, that's your mission field? Jared preached it last week. How often are we going to work praying for those doors to open to share the gospel? Because I, wanna, I want you to see this. Where God has placed you is where God wants you. That's the calling but are you making yourself available in your workplace? Are you realizing that God, you've called me to be the waiter at Waffle House and God, that's the calling. That's where you've placed me because I know you're gonna bring somebody in my path that doesn't know you. And God, that's where you called me. Maybe God's called you to be a physician. Maybe he's called you to be a dentist. Understand that all of those places, God's given you those talents and those skills not to make a living for yourself, but to make his name famous. That's why God has given you what he's given you. Then you look at this lady named Nympha and all it says about her is that she used her house for church. I did a little digging and I found out that this lady, it wasn't like she lived in some little shack. Scholars believe that she had a very, very large home because it had to be large enough to allow people to come in to meet and worship together. So what we find out about this lady is she was very wealthy. But you see what she did? She made all that she had available to God. Maybe God has blessed you with finances and I know you're thinking, oh, here comes that money talk. Yeah, it is. Because God has given you, some of you, the resources. But church, God has also called us that whatever he's given us, it's his anyway. There's a reason that he's given it to you. It's so you can let go of it. Miss June always comes to me and she'll, she'll bring the financial reports and she's so excited. She goes, oh, Brian, I just can't believe this. We're in the month of July and God just keeps blessing. I said, Miss June, God's gonna keep giving it as long as we keep letting go of it because it's not ours. He's giving it to us to entrust us to be open-handed with it. And that's what God's calling us to do. But has God called you to do that? What has God called you? What resources, what finances, what anything that he's given you, you understand it's from him. Every good gift is from the Father. Are you being obedient? Are you making yourself available? Are you making yourself available? Now to change gears one more time, um, 
you realize that anytime you make yourself available to the Lord, circumstances are gonna change. Circumstances are going to change. I remember as a 19 year old going right into college, I surrendered to God's calling in my life. And I said, God, I'm available. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. And in that moment of time, God was leading me to coach basketball and football and to be a teacher. You say, well, no, Brian, you just missed it. No, I didn't. That was what God had for me. That was the journey that God sent me on. And so it wasn't that I took a right turn when we were supposed to take a left. I took a right turn, but my circumstances have changed. The situations have changed. But understand that when our circumstances change, our faithfulness is what remains constant. That when the circumstances change, we may not wanna go left. We may wanna keep going right, but that's not faithfulness. That left that God takes you on, you may have no clue where it's headed. You may have no clue where it's going. But all God's wanting is for you just to trust him in those circumstances. And we see a very drastic change in circumstances in this man's name, Epaphras' life. You see, if you were here Wednesday night for our pray for, you heard me mention this guy's name. You see, Epaphras went from being a a preacher to a prisoner. He went from having a platform to having a prison cell. And so when you start feeling sorry for yourself about not getting patted on the back, about being discouraged and frustrated, think about this guy. He was the responsible one for starting the church at Colossae. He was responsible for starting Thessalonica, or Laodicea, I'm sorry. He was responsible for starting three churches. So preaching, pastoring is all he knows. And guess where that pastoring led him? To jail, to a prison cell. So his circumstances have changed drastically. So if anybody had a reason to pout and to throw in the towel, it was this guy. He should have just said, you know what? I'm gonna sit over here in the corner of my prison cell because I've been faithful to God and I'm in prison. But you know what I love about this guy? This one's probably my favorite. He didn't skip a beat in his faithfulness to what God had called him to do. Look at what he went from doing. He went from being a pastor to a prayer warrior. He went from having a platform to being on his knees. And look at what it said he did. He said that he was always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. He couldn't preach to those three churches anymore. He's in prison now, but guess what he didn't stop doing? He didn't stop praying for them. When it says that he was laboring earnestly, when you look at that phrase, it means that he locked hand in hand in combat with the enemy. He went to war on behalf of the three churches that God had allowed him to plant. But keep in mind, 
to go from having a platform to a prison cell? You think he was getting the praise and the pat on the backs and the glories and the attaboys? No. He was alone. He was by himself. He was being persecuted for his faith. But he stayed faithful to his father. The circumstances changed, but his calling didn't. His circumstances changed, but his calling didn't. And that's the challenge that we all have this morning is to remain faithful. And that's how Paul closes it out. In verse 17, say to Archippus, take heed, means hold on to. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. You know, just according to that text, we don't really have a clue what Archippus was doing. But for all intensive purposes, it really doesn't matter. Because all we know about the guy is that Paul's challenging him to stay faithful. And when is the last time you thought about your calling as a gift from God? When is the last time that you've thought about where God has placed you as a gift? Because that's what he says. Take heed of the ministry which you have received from the Lord. Archippus didn't go out looking for his ministry, but God placed him in it. And it was a gift from God. But how many times do we take it for granted, the ministry that God has given us? Are we looking at it as a gift? Are we remaining faithful even when we don't want to? You know, and I've often told you a lot of times that I can't orchestrate this kind of stuff, that God's timing is perfect. When I think faithful, I think of one of our staff members, Mr. Tim Tipton, who has faithfully served you for 20 years. For 20 years. And I think he could stand and share testimony that there's days that he's wanted to throw in the towel. There's days that he's wanted to quit. There's days that he didn't know how it was gonna end up. But he remained faithful, not to a man, not to a church name, but to his father. And Tim, on behalf of the church, I wanna say we love you and thank you for your faithfulness. In church, that's exactly what he's challenging all of us as a body of believers to do is take that example. Stay faithful. Even when the circumstances change, even when it gets hard, you stay faithful to what God has called you to do. And I found this and I wish I was this smart, but I'm not. So I'm just gonna steal like it's mine anyway. He tells us there to fulfill our responsibility. The only way we can fulfill it is to be fully filled with him. That's it. That's it. The only way we can fulfill what God has called us to do is to be fully filled with him. 
And so look, I know that this message has covered a lot this morning. I know that I'm praying that it's covered every scenario just about for the faithful servants of God because I promise you that if we look at this enough, we can all relate to at least one of them. We can all relate to at least one of these circumstances that these individuals walked through. So there's a lot of questions asked this morning. What has God entrusted you with that he wants you to serve him with? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.